clouds and those mountains melt, those problems in our way, when they melt, I can't imagine what it's going to be like when that promise comes to pass. Uh, I read a lot about it last week as we were studying for Reality Speaks. I was like, what better to talk about eternity than to read the book of Revelation? So, amen. And it began to talk about the mountains melting, the hills melting, and the waters boiling, and the sun turning uh, black, and the moon turning red. I thought about all that stuff. I'm like, what is it going to be like when God comes back? What? What am I going to be doing when the Lord comes back? I'm, I've made up my mind that I'm going to be ready for his return, but I just can't imagine what it's going to be like when God, that trumpet blows and, and he comes in. I, I literally am just saying that because I just really, I can't imagine it. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the day we are uh, celebrating today, the day of Pentecost. Um, I'm thankful for this opportunity to be able to speak uh, behind the pulpit. Uh, I really am glad to be up here speaking once again for, in front of all of you. Uh, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for uh, her love and her, I guess, passion for, for me. <laughs> uh, I'm glad she's in my life. And I'm thankful for my pastor and uh, my mother that she's here today. I'm thankful for uh, so many different things. But can we just go to the word of the Lord today? Can we turn to the book of Acts? What better place to start or go go to turn to today then the place where the day of Pentecost started where this all originated the reason why we are here other than the fact that Jesus died on Calvary for us it was the promise that is why we are here today it was a promise that was fulfilled and I'm ready to see some promises fulfilled in this church I, I talked about the mountains melting because I'm ready for some mountains to melt in some of our lives, in my life and in your life. I'm ready to see us reach our potential that God has for this church. I, I, I'm tired of living under what God wants this church to be. I, I'm tired of, of coming here and just having 30 in service. I, God wants more for us than that church. If he, if he wants 30 to be the capacity of this church, then we need to get to another area and fill up another church full of 30 and keep doing that. If 30 is our capacity, then we need to reach it as many times as we can. Because God has a promise. He is going to melt some mountains in this world. When He steps off that cloud and He touches the earth, He is going to melt some mountains in, this, in our way. He's going to get some things out of our path so we can get to Him where He is and where He needs us to be. I just feel that that God is going to begin to erase some of the things that are keeping us from what he wants us to do. And what better day for us to figure that out than the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, if you would turn uh, to verse 37, uh, it's kind of, I guess it's crazy that you could imagine that I'd be reading uh, in Acts chapter 2 around verse 37. I don't know why I would do that on a day like this. I don't know what would urge me to read such a portion of scripture. Um, I don't know, but let's read it and figure out why in the world we're there. It says, Acts chapter uh, 2 verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Before I read verse 38, I'm going to read it one more time. But this time, let's get a little more serious with it. It says, Now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And said unto Peter, the people that had the answer to this question, and said unto the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Because this wasn't just, what are we going to do? 
It wasn't just these guys turning to their friends and being like, hey, what are we going to do today? It was the answer to all their problems. It was the answer to the question they had for their entire life. What are we going to do? As children, they grew up wondering what they were going to do. With young adulthood, they're wondering what are we going to do. And once again, they're in that same position. It says, men and brethren, what shall we do? And verse 38 is Peter's answer. It says, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, every one of you, because he wasn't speaking to just the men in the crowd. He wasn't speaking to just the women. He wasn't speaking to just the older kids or even the younger kids. He was speaking to everyone that was present on the outpouring of God's Spirit. What we call the day of Pentecost. If you would, would you ask God to speak to us today? I I know His presence is already here, but let's let Him be able to make Himself even more known to us today, even more revealed to us. Lord, we thank You for this awesome presence. We thank You for Your great Spirit. Lord, we're thankful that on this day, God, You poured out Your Spirit so many years ago on humanity. For the first time, Lord, it was the comforter that You promised. It was the promise of all promises. It is the power that we need, God. Help us to feel it and experience it today. Lord, let it move like a literal mighty rushing wind in this place. We still believe you move, God. We still believe that your word is true from the beginning until now. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. We love you, God, in your wonderful name. Amen. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, Dasani changed their water bottles? (laughs) Nah, I'm just kidding. It's the day of Pentecost. It's not just about water. Although it is, but we're talking about some fire today. But they really did change their water. <laughs> Everybody's recycling now. That's probably what it's about. Trying to save the, save the earth. Get, save some plastic. Uh, <clears throat> but let me open my iPad. I probably should look at my notes. before I. But today, without further ado, I will introduce my title. And uh, as jokingly as I have been the last few moments, the title is rather serious, and it is Pain Produces Pentecost. How many would like to learn how pain can produce something so ugly can produce something so powerful, something so hurtful, something so destructive, something so negative that it's a complete negative word in, in the English dictionary that anytime someone says pain, we know that it was something bad, that it was something wrong. How can something so negative go and create something so impactful on humanity and on destiny and on generations to come as Pentecost? How can pain produce something so mighty? Now, I wish I could say that Pentecost has a very powerful, strong, intense definition, a very revelatory definition, but, but friends, peers, family, I'll tell you what, Pentecost, I looked it up, and from what all I saw, I'm pretty sure it just means 50 days after Easter. That's what it is. It's the 50th day after Easter. It's when we celebrate the day of Pentecost. And I was like, God, let, let me look up Pentecost and let it mean like something like fire from heaven or something like that. But no, it just, it's like 50 days. I'm like, oh, okay. I gotta, can't, can't really use that. But uh, something that I feel I really got for this message, the main point that I felt like 
the Lord wanted me to push. And I know it's kind of weird that I would just go ahead and reveal to you the eggs in my basket. Because what preachers like to do is we like to hide that climatic statement somewhere in the middle. And we like to say it and scream it. And if you don't listen to it, we like to get real close. We like to whisper it. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to say it plain here today for us so we can really grasp what I feel like the Lord wants to preach to us today. There's not many people here. So this is what I felt like God. You know how, I'm just going to go and be honest with you. You know how I got this? I wasn't, I wasn't in my office praying early in the morning. I wasn't on the couch praying early in the morning. I was at work running my CNC mill. And I hadn't been listening to anything all day through my earbuds. I finally went and got my earbuds and I listened to a song. And I just started praying as I started listening to this song. And then God just opened up some kind of floodgate and poured this into my spirit. And I had to quit working and go to the bathroom and write this down. Because if I didn't, I was going to forget it. Amen. Has anybody been there? God just randomly opened up a floodgate on you and you got to write it down. That's exactly what happened. And I know it wasn't me because I wasn't really trying to get it. God was just like, this is it. This is what I want you to talk about Sunday on Pentecost Sunday. Pain produces Pentecost. And the true statement I could say from this message would be, it's in the hardest moments of our life that we have the greatest vision. It's in the hardest moments of our lives that we have the greatest vision. Now, when I felt like I heard this in my spirit, I, I began to think of, okay, what, how could I make this, uh, but more than just a statement, how can I make this a message? And I began to think of the book of Revelation. And I just read it. So it all flowed together. I just remembered John. He was on the isle of Patmos. He was in exile. He was, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, as we read in verse 10. And he was, he was seeking God in his moment of exile for preaching the word of God. It was, it was John using the same formula that they used on the day of Pentecost. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. They were seeking God, and yet he wasn't with any other person. He was by himself. He was, I guess he was unified in one accord with his, himself. You know, he was unified in one accord with God, and, and that's when God showed up to him, and he began to tell him that you need to write down everything that you're about to see. You need to write down everything the angels are going to show you. He's like, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He's like, I want you to write this down. And, it's gonna, and, it, and it was the Spirit that took John off into this prophetic vision. John was a disciple, an apostle, exiled for preaching about the one Jesus who was crucified. The, the rebel from Nazareth. And I didn't really like using the word rebel, so I had to clear that up. God wasn't a rebel, but according to the Pharisees, according to the scribes, the Roman culture, he was at that time. He was a man that they sought to kill for being who he was, and that was God. He, he, they wanted to kill him for not, uh, for not making the people stop crying Hosanna and following him. They wanted to kill him for proclaiming that he was God when he truly was. He truly was the king of the Jews. He truly was the king of the world. And John knew this and he was among the role of them that were there on the day of Pentecost. When he was filled with God's Spirit, he found himself in the book of Revelation, left to die in exile, but there is where he found eternity. He found the Alpha and the Omega, and he, he was taken into the Spirit in a vision of the end of times. Once again, maybe this will make a little more sense to you. I'll repeat, it's in the hardest moments of our lives we have the greatest vision. John couldn't, John could see, but he couldn't, Yet, 
He, John got to see everything that went to happen. He got to know about the revivals. He got to know about everything that was going to happen in the book of Revelation, but it was not going to be in John's time. We can see the clearest what lies ahead when we are in persecution. We can zero in, in on our future and our vision. Because church peril is the scope of revival. It makes the inconceivable receivable. It makes the miraculous, the present, the end time revival is the greatest because it's the end. There's not going to be another revival after the last one. The end time revival. There's not going to be another day of Pentecost. There's not going to be another push to receive God's spirit like there is right now. Hey, but for now, there's pain. Now, there's hurt. There's strife. There's chains in this world that we have to drag around and we've got to deal with and we've got to overcome. But like I said, when God comes, those mountains in our way are literally going to melt. The Bible says it and I don't think it's speaking metaphorically or in any kind of analogy. The mountains will literally melt because God's presence. We have no idea what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back for us. We have no idea what we could imagine uh, the being in his presence the full power of his presence could be like uh, let me tell you what church we better thank God for pain because it produces Pentecost our reason for claiming this apostolic doctrine should not be because we're trying to please our pastor by dressing holy and acting holy. Uh, we should not be claiming this apostolic doctrine uh, just because uh, we like to impress people here. But it should be because we care for souls uh, that are out there. We are apostolic because uh, this world is in pain. Not because it looks good on paper. Not because we can get a card for it. Uh, but because there is pain uh, that people uh, are suffering from. Amen. Go with me somewhere just for a minute. This church was birthed because there was pain in this city. This church was birthed because of pain in our pastor's heart when he felt the burden for the city of Marion and the surrounding areas. There, are, there is pain that we are dealing with as flesh in this world. Pentecost happened because the world was in pain and it needed power to continue the mission that Jesus had started. Pentecost happened because of the pain in your life and in my life. Let me tell you what, from my life, divorced homes creates Pentecost. Broken families creates Pentecost. Bitterness, generational curses, lost loved ones, sickness, pain produces Pentecost. I'll return you to our scripture. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were pricked in their heart because Peter stood up and he proclaimed that the one you killed, the one that you wanted to see die and bleed on a cross, was God. And you eliminated him from this world. It was his plan, but you're the ones that completed it. And his plan was completed in death. Uh, it, it, they were pricked in their heart. There was a pain that hit their hearts and it left them wondering what shall we do? And that is when Pentecost was birthed. 
it, Pentecost was more than just 120. Pentecost was the 3,000 that were added to the church. Because if you think Pentecost is like 20 on a Sunday morning, you're wrong. It's a, Pentecost is city-filled revivals. It's county revivals. It's nationwide revivals. It is worldwide revivals. It's not just a little amount. God cares about the little amount, but he is looking for the little to produce the many. And that's what the day of Pentecost was about. It was about God pouring out his spirit as he promised. And his promise was not just to give it to them, but so they could go forth, make disciples, so they could go forth teaching and preaching in the only saving name. Because God has never once contradicted himself. This world would like to point out flaws in the Bible. They'd like to point out the law and the crazy things that had to happen. But it was necessary for the children of Israel. But God is saying, my sacrifice was necessary for you. I gave them the law because they needed it. But I gave you your lot, my life because you needed it. Because I've got standards for you to live by. Because my death was more than just for you. I have no doubts today that the Holy Ghost can move like a mighty rushing wind in this place. Because church, church of the past and of the future, who God called on Calvary and who God called today, we are all that are far off mentioned in Acts 2.39. Jesus tells the disciples to not leave Jerusalem until they receive what he promised. In Acts chapter 1 verse 13, it counts many names that were among the 120 gathered. And I'm going to read that and it says, And when they come in, and they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon and Judas the brother of James, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, I didn't write what he said, but it's got parentheses that says the, the number of names together were about 120. That's where we get that number from. We didn't make that up. 120 wasn't made up. Um, <clears throat> but there, the, the people that followed Jesus, they, they went and did what he said. They, they found somewhere to dwell in Jerusalem to wait for the promise. It, it came to pass that they were together in one accord and one place. Uh, but, because this is what I felt like the Lord told me to say, there is a price of unity. The gathering together of one accord meant that some had to leave for the unifying to happen. Uh, God, God once had multitudes follow him. There, there was once so many people that there wasn't enough food for them. And God literally break, broke bread and fed 5,000 men, not including women children. There was thousands that followed God, that followed his teaching. But there was a time in John chapter 6 where he began to start to reveal some things about him being the only true God. That was a hard saying for the Jews to utter. And, and the disciples looked at him and said, Master, uh, these are our hard sayings that you're telling us. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. 
There was a falling away of the people that followed Jesus. And in Luke 10 and 1, we find that uh, a time when God had 70 disciples. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed another 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. The following of Christ had many fluctuations like the church today fluctuates. In the book of Acts, while they waited in the upper room, they discussed replacing Judas because they were still fluctuating, adding and losing people. And that's when we find the few that were gathered in the upper room waiting for the Spirit of God to be poured out. And if you go to the famous chapter of Acts 2 where we read in the beginning, you get the scriptures that we so famously stand and stand by and it is, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. I would love for the Spirit of God to move in this place like a rushing mighty wind. I would love for God to move through here and shatter every window and shatter every electrical fixture and show us His power, His Spirit in this place today. Amen. And it says, uh, and it filled the house where they were sitting. I would love for God's presence to fill this house uh, where we are sitting today. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. I've seen people speak in tongues. Uh, but I've never seen fire come out of someone's mouth uh, when they're speaking in tongues. I would love to see that. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit uh, gave them utterance. Uh, and there... This is the cool part. I mean, getting filled with the Holy Ghost, God's Spirit is cool. But here's another thing that it says. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. There were so many different cultures here, and I would go through and read them, but I would most definitely chop a whole lot of these names. I listened to it before us, and I thought I had the confidence to do it, but I'm actually not going to do that. But there was a lot of languages there, and these men understood what they were saying, and when they were speaking in tongues, they were glorifying God. They were like, they're glorifying God in my tongue, and these men are not from where I was born at. They don't speak my language. And they were like, oh, they were all amazed. And, and some were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are, are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, Ye men of Judea, and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is only but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens. I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will shew wonders in heaven above and in signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke uh, this promise is for you today this 
promise that Peter spoke of to those who were confounded as many times we find ourselves confounded by God who is infallible who who has no mistakes who has no fault we find ourselves confounded by the Holy Ghost we find ourselves wondering and questioning if it's even right if it's even real if it's even true and uh, I let me tell you it is true it is real this promise is for you and what we're doing when we speak in tongues uh, when we live this apostolic way it is it's not fake uh, it's because there is something greater out there and we have tasted it uh, and we would like to share that uh, with everything that we have it is the solution to any problems that we have God's spirit is the solution in the presence, there is no problems. In the spirit, there isn't any food that you've got to put on the table. The disciples, they, they, you know, they walked with God. And now they've got to make sure that their babies are getting enough to eat. They've got responsibilities still after they had been with the mighty one of the entire world. They ate meals prepared for Jesus house to house. And now they've got to get bread in their own house. With God, there's not any bills that you've got due. God paid all the disciples' debt with just one fish catch. The people that followed Jesus were looking for something else, something like God. Because God had went away. He had went and ascended back up into heaven off of Mount Olivet. <clears throat> that, that is what had happened. And they had all the pain. They had all the trial. And... If not yet, they would have trial. They would pay the price of preaching the gospel following the charge of Matthew 28, 19, which was death. There was pain in seeing the only hope for humanity die. And now they've got to go somewhere once again without Jesus and hope that he shows up in Jerusalem like he said he would. The Bible tells us what happened, but the disciples, they, they could not skip ahead. They couldn't read the book of Genesis and skip all the way to Revelation to know what the ending was going to be like. They, they couldn't skip ahead to the crucifixion and know what it was going to be like seeing Jesus die and bleed for them on a cross. They couldn't skip ahead to their own persecutions and their own crucifixions and their own deaths like we can skip around in the Bible today. They did not know the Messiah was coming or who they knew he was coming but they did not know who he was going to be they didn't even know that he was going to die God had to reveal it to them they they had to find it inside themselves that he was the true God for flesh and blood did not reveal it to them it was pain it was longing it was more than who they were that revealed it to them Jesus had the new authority that astounded the scribes and Pharisees and the disciples had the pain necessary to produce Pentecost depression breeds desperation addiction pushes adoration anxiety seeks out divinity they had the pain necessary to produce something as powerful as Pentecost God knew exactly who he was going to choose he knew exactly who he was going to choose for this church he knew and knows of the pain that we are in and will experience and he picked us to produce something powerful he used something so ugly inside of us something so disgusting something so twisted something that 
wreaks havoc uh, on your mind uh, and your situations. Uh, he uses that pain uh, to do something great. And that is Pentecost. Peter had to have pain for Pentecost. The disciples had to lose the greatest asset to their lives to revive the greatest push in history. To receive power, there is a cost. There is a price. Mary was among those listed at the day of Pentecost. Mary was the mother of Jesus. And I imagine as a little boy that she wiped his bottom. She surely let him suck on her fingers because I don't really know that they had pacifiers then or not or if Jesus would have even needed one. I, I don't know, but I, surely she let him suck his, her fingers. She watched him as he played, watched him as he grew in power and authority. She watched him stand in the face of persecution. She watched the flogging of his body with a cat of nine tails. She watched him carry the cross, uh, stumbling towards his death. For he was God, but he was also flesh. And flesh's limit was crucifixion, but God works beyond the flesh. Mothers, I would like you to think of your motherhood, putting all you have in your child just for them to grow to 33 and die. Her price was her baby boy dying on the cross and the pain of watching him suffer. That is what produced Pentecost for the mother of Jesus. Peter's price was the pain of his denial. Peter, the one who proclaimed he would never turn away from Jesus. It was the call that pained Peter, but it was Pentecost that pushed him to die on a cross upside down. John's price for revelation was death. John's price for Pentecost was exile. It was after losing Jesus they experienced the famed day of Pentecost. What they found, what they founded, the values of our, our, they founded our church upon those same values that they learned in their pain. That same spirit, it's alive today. It's still for us today. The price of glory is death. But we don't have to die. We can live again because God died in our place so we can live. It, I, I don't know how much the day of Pentecost, how much the gospel makes sense to you. But Jesus, he saw the world indeed and he come down on this earth. And he gave his life in more than just a sacrifice, but in teaching. In, in teaching to pray, in teaching to respect, in teaching to reach the world. He gave his life and then he ultimately gave his life on a cross. And that is the gospel. It is the death, burial, and the resurrection. It is what uh, is paralleled in the book of Acts, known as the promise, known as the plan of salvation. We die in repentance. We are, we are, we are washed. We are buried in the blood, in the water, in the name of Jesus. And then we are resurrected with the Holy Ghost. And it is a plan of salvation. Because it is what we must do to be saved. It is what we must do uh, to get uh, to heaven someday. Uh, and to be on the good side of the mountains melting. Uh, and to be on the good side uh, of the book of Revelation. Uh, it is the plan of salvation. It is necessary. Uh, it is what is paralleled by the life of Jesus. 
It is a promise that we can have eternal life. It is a promise uh, that someone cared enough about you to come and die a painful death so you could live. It is necessary for our church. It's necessary for the churches in our future. It is necessary for your life. It's necessary to get rid of our bitterness. It's necessary to get rid of our unforgiveness. It's necessary to get rid of our addictions and our pain. But our pain is ultimately necessary to produce the Pentecost in our lives. It is necessary that you went through some things uh, as a kid because uh, as you grew older, it became a longing. Um, and sometimes we find that longing uh, inside drugs. Uh, we find that longing in alcohol. We find that longing in relationships. Uh, but God is saying, I gave you that pain so you could find that longing in Pentecost. Uh, so you could find it mirrored uh, in the same formula of being in the spirit uh, and finding the answers uh, getting that revelation because it's in the hardest moments uh, of our lives we have the greatest vision uh, it's when we're reflecting on that pain uh, that we can see forward uh, and know what we don't need to do in the future and that comes in through Pentecost amen, amen. amen. I don't plan on being any longer today if I could Get some music. I, I know my wife is busy, but if I could just have someone come play. You don't even have to sing, but I think it would be completely appropriate today if we allowed God to close out this altar, close out this message. Because just as the day of Pentecost, there was a promise of receiving God's Spirit, you can receive God's Spirit in this place today. And it comes through following the plan of salvation. There's no other way. There's not a lottery ticket you can, you can fill out. There's, there's not some kind of raffle. You don't have to schedule an appointment for it uh, because it is literally available 24-7, 365 days. It's available at 1 a.m. It's available right now at 2.41 p.m. on May 23rd for every single one of you in this building. And I know that I'm preaching to a bunch uh, of Holy Ghost filled apostolics uh, but there is nothing wrong uh, for us joining uh, in the worldwide move of Pentecost uh, as there are many churches I'm sure today uh, that have preached very similar messages uh, because Pentecost uh, is the movement uh, that's going to save the world speaking in tongues uh, is necessary to get to heaven it doesn't matter the logistics of it you just got to know that you've got to get it. It doesn't matter when you do it. You've got to get it today. It doesn't matter what your family says about you speaking in tongues. It doesn't matter what your family says about that Pentecostal church in the middle of nowhere that you go to. If that bothers you that they're speaking about you, that means we need to get it even better. We need to get them even more interested in what we've got going on. So how about we seek out the Spirit of God right now in this place? And I believe God is going to move like a mighty rushing wind in this place. 